I want to commend all of you who came back. You know, we said we were going to talk about money for two more weeks, and uh, you all came back. I, I'm sorry if some of you didn't know that and walked into this and said, what? I didn't know about that. Who <laughs> didn't warn me? <laughs> um, if we think about money today, and we've been doing that, and we'll do that for one more week, sort of talking about that whole issue, what are we really looking for from our money? And what I'm talking about is, I think most of us would admit, it's not the money itself. I mean, the money itself is a piece of paper, a, a, a piece of metal, uh, often uh, torn, marked, dirty. Um, so it's not really the money itself that we're looking for. It's something else that, that we believe that money will get us to. What, what are some of those things? What are we looking to money for? We're going to do a little audience participation here. Security? Others? Good stuff. Okay. And we all get to define that good stuff. Yeah? What? Early retirement. Okay. We're all in favor of that, although we think it's becoming a myth. Um well, I, I, this is the kinds of things that, uh, that I was thinking of. You know, what, what you all have shared, what you've said. We're looking for happiness. We're looking for these things that it can get us. An enjoyable life. Family and friends having fun together. All of those things that we think money can sort of get us there. Security for the future. The problem is, as we've been talking, as you read the news, as you, as you look at what's going on in our economy today, that's not so much what money's getting us. It, it's sort of not working. It's creating a ton of stress, uh, a, a lot of tension, as we wrestle with our money and what's working and what's not. Well, this is really the middle of a, of a sermon series, a three-week sermon series. Last week... Um, we talked about a time for a new financial plan. And that what we're doing isn't working so much, at least for a lot in our country. And just doing more of it isn't probably the solution. That in fact, maybe what is needed is a different approach, a different plan. And last week I threw out a challenge for you of really trying to get you to see that maybe, just maybe, when we talk about God and money, it's not so much about God's trying to get your money from you as that he really wants to help you with your money. That he sees the struggle it is to handle money and to get it to really work for us and that usually it ends up being a pitfall and a lot of stress for most people. And I tried to present to you the concept that maybe, in fact, God wants to help you with your money help you handle it wisely, help you get where you really want to be with that money, and that he wants to help you do that. Uh, that's not how we tend to see God. And so part of that was a challenge that we need to listen to our financial advisor. I mean, if you really think about that, wouldn't it be sort of stupid to get a financial advisor and not listen to them? I, I shared with you last week, neither Peggy nor I feel like we are financial wizards, and so we found a, a Christian father and son to be our financial advisors. And we go to them once a year, and when you go to them, uh, they hand us this sheet, and they're very diplomatic. They call it talking points. But in reality, what those talking points are is either questions, what are you doing with your money, 
or orders. <laughs> Start doing this. Don't do this anymore. We're going to shift from A to B. And they sort of give us their instructions for the year. Now, it would be really a waste of our time and theirs if we went, we met with them, they gave us their talking points, and we went home and proceeded to throw it away and go ahead and do whatever we wanted to do. I mean, we would all say, well, that was stupid. How can they help you if you don't listen to what they say and follow their direction, follow their guidance? Well, that's what we want to talk about today. Because the truth is, if God really is intent on helping us handle our money, then part of that process has to be that we're willing to listen to his plan. Listen to his directions, his guidance. The good news is, if we do, it works. It helps. And I think Peggy and I would say these two guys that we've been meeting with, they haven't told us anything miraculous. They haven't pulled a rabbit out of a hat. But if we look at our finances today compared to years ago when we started working with them, we're way better off today because we listened to what they said. They knew what they were talking about. Well, they are just flawed humans. The good news is God is perfect. And the promise that we have, the testimony we have from previous customers of God is that if you listen to his financial plan, it really does work. He can help us. And I want to look at two scriptures that are sort of those kinds of testimonies. Um, one is from Proverbs 3, where Solomon says there, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops, with the, then, your, then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. If you listen to God, if you follow his guidance, let him have that, that role Great things happen. Jesus says the same thing in the New Testament. Matthew 6, verse 31, don't worry. And he's talking about money. And that's exactly where a lot of us are at, worrying about money. He says you don't have to. Don't worry, saying what are we going to eat, what are we going to drink, what are we going to wear. And then in verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things that you're worried about will be given to you as well. If you listen to God, if you focus on Him, He will take care of you. His plan will work. You'll have the very things you're worried about needing and not knowing where they're coming from. God will provide that. So, how does God know if we're listening to Him? Well, that's where we come to this concept called tithing. It's a word we don't use a lot in our own vocabulary. I doubt if it came up at work last week. I doubt if it came up around the uh, water cooler. It really has become a religious term. But all it is is a term out of the Bible that refers to taking 10% out of the 100% that I have and giving 10% to God. Now, tithing's not a real popular concept, so hang with me for a little while today. One of the first times we run across it laid out for us is in Leviticus 27, way back in the beginning of the Old Testament. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. 
It is holy to the Lord. And the concept there is it's given to him. It's really his. He's the owner of that 10%. It's what's due him because he's God. So the idea is that we're getting this income. Whether that's from a paycheck and what I work, whether that's a return on investments, some promotion and some bonus I get, whatever it is, we all have income coming in one sort or the other. And out of all of that income, God says, I want you to keep 90%. I want you to keep that to provide for your needs, those things you're worried about. I'm going to provide those, and that covers it. But then that other 10%, I want you to give that back to me so that I know that you're following my plan. I know that you're listening to me. I know that you're letting me guide your steps. And that's how I know that, God says. That's why that 10% is important. Now, if we don't listen to God, then as we said earlier, he really can't help us and his plan won't work. doesn't matter if you take the talking point sheet home. If you don't follow the plan, it can't work. Now, there's an interesting story for us at the end of the Old Testament of some people basically complaining to God and saying, hey, your plan's not working. And God has an honest talk with them. Um, And if you turn over there with me, I want you to read along with me. It's in Malachi 3, verses 8 through 10. For the sake of time, I'm sort of picking up in the middle of this dialogue God's having with Israel. And I'll give you a little background later. But verse, verse 8 begins with sort of this rhetorical question. Uh, how is it possible for a human to rob God? You know, that sort of sounds ridiculous, isn't it? We're human, he's God. How in the world can we rob God? And yet God's response is, well, yeah, it is possible because you're robbing me. And, of course, Israel says back, well, how are we robbing you? And so then God answers. In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven... And pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, keep your finger there. Let's look at these verses for just a second. First of all, Israel says, hey, this isn't working. We're not feeling blessed. We're not seeing the success of following your plan. So they're sort of complaining to God. God comes back and says, well, it's not working because you're not listening. You're not following the plan. You're not giving me that 10% that lets me know you're really trusting me and following me. And so guess what? Because of that, you're living in a cursed situation. Life isn't working for you economically. Your money isn't working for you because I'm not blessing you anymore because I can't because you're not with the plan. You're not listening to me. You're not following the plan. I can't work with you. And then God, for one of the only times in the Bible, gives Israel, in our language, a dare. He says, I dare you. Test me in this. You follow my plan. 
you keep 90%, you give me 10%, and you watch and see if my plan doesn't work. So much so that your barns will be overflowing with the very things you're complaining now because you don't have, because you're not following my plan. And he says, I dare you. I dare you to let me have a chance with my plan, really follow my plan, and you see if it doesn't work. That's a pretty big statement that God makes there. You see, the thing I want to try and show you today is that tithing isn't all about God. Tithing helps us. I know you may think that's totally backwards, but I want to try and convince you today that tithing is really for us. It is not only the way we show God that we are following his plan, but I want to list off four things that I think tithing does for us and why I could say in that crazy sort of way, I give 10% of my money away, money that I need. I got lots of uses for it. And you're saying that's good for me to do? And basically, I'm saying, yeah, it is good for you to do. So let me show you those four things that I think show that tithing is really for us more than it is for God. The first thing is tithing makes me choose my focus. Where am I going to focus? What's going to be important to me? Tithing helps me make that choice. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he concludes, You cannot serve both God and most translations say money. Now the word that's in there in the original Greek is bigger than just money. It really is a term for money and all the stuff money can buy. It's sort of that umbrella concept. But what Jesus is saying, you can't do both. You can't walk that way and walk that way. Now, it's not that God won't let you. It's just a limitation of us humans. We can't do both. I can't say, God, I'm going to listen to your plan and follow the plan that everybody in the world's following. You just can't do both at the same time. We have to choose. And you know what? Every Sunday, when that offering comes around, I re-decide whom I follow, whom I listening. You see, the offering is really a big deal. This is one of my, you know, I, confession time. Okay, confession time. I have a lot of conf, uh, hot buttons about offering time in worship. One is when it's, you see it sometimes, it's so downplayed, it's like, well, we've got to pay the light bills, so quick, pass the plates. That's not what this is about. It's a spiritual time when each of us redecides: am I listening to God's plan with my money, or am I not? And every time that plate comes around, I have to redecide that. Is my focus on God? And when that offering plate comes by, it's helping me say for another week, nope, as we reluctantly lay that check in there and let go of it, no, God, I want you to be the one at the center of my finances. And I re-decide that during that offering time. It is one of the most spiritual things we do in worship. We just don't see it that way. 
because it's helping me redecide where my focus is. You can't love both. It's impossible. Well, the second thing is the offering reminds me, tithing reminds me of my limitations. You see, it's easy to forget the truth. And we start to believe that everything I have is from me, it's from my work, my paycheck, my career, and that I'm building my future, I'm calling the shots, I'm building all this and putting this all together. And you know what? I see why we feel that way. We all feel that way from time to time. But it's not reality. It's a fairy tale. It's a cartoon. The reality is quite different. Now, God knew that is always something we wrestle with. Israel wrestled with it. There's a fascinating scripture I want us to read over in Deuteronomy 8. Israel is just coming out of Egypt. They have been slaves for 400 years. They don't know what it would be to own anything. They have, they have not owned anything in the memory of their ancestors. If it's 400 years, it's a long time. And now God says, I am going to bring you into the land flowing with milk and honey, this wonderful, perfect land. And you're going to build homes, and you're going to have farms and businesses. You are going to be successful and prosperous. But in getting all that stuff, there's a danger. You're going to start to delude yourself and believe a fairy tale. And he says, I want to warn you before it happens, so you try and avoid this trap. Okay? Let's read Deuteronomy 8, 17 through 19. When you get in there and you're all successful, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. I'm doing this. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors, as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. That lie? We did this. Look what we built. Look what I've accomplished. Look at the portfolio I've put together. I've given myself a secure future. It's easy to see how we buy that. But what God says is reality is different. Whether you take your next breath or not is not under your control. Whether any one of us make it home today from church or get hit in a head-on collision is not something we can control. Whether my heart has a massive heart attack and I die in the aisle leaving here is not in my control. I can take cholesterol medication, I can take blood pressure pills, and I can still die walking down the aisle. Whether we have a job tomorrow is not under our control. If we own our own company, whether that company exists in a month is not under our control. The truth is we aren't the one calling the shots. That's reality. And you know what the offering does? It is an admission. It is a thanks. It is me reminding myself when I give some of my money to God, I know this is from you. I know the 100% I have is really as a result of you making it happen. And so I'm giving 10% back so I don't forget. 
So I don't start believing the lie and delude myself that I think I'm in charge of my life. Because I really can't take care of the future. I have to have you for that. And I'm reminded of that every time that plate goes by and I put that 10% in. The third reason tithing is for us is it directs our focus towards God. It's actually very spiritual. Money is one of the most addictive substances on earth. I'm convinced of that. And like most addictions, it can also be a very destructive addiction. The danger is always there. And so the challenge is how do we handle money? Because we can't avoid it. We live in an economy, a world based on money. So it's not like I can say, well, I'm just not going to touch it. I won't eat. I won't have shelter. I won't have transportation. None of that. So then the question becomes, how do I handle it and avoid the dangerous addiction? Well, it's like in the offering time, I I love these movies, you know, the new gesture that's become real popular, you know, eyes on me, here, right here, keep it right here. One of my favorites is, what is it, Runaway Bride, and she's run away, and I forget, eight weddings, and so her new fiancé is trying to coach her and say, eyes here as you come down the aisle, eyes here. Well, you know what? That's what God's doing in the offering. Eyes here. What's life about? It's about me. Now, why do I say that? Turn over to Matthew 6. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, if you really think about that verse, that's one of those fascinating verses that you first read and you say, Wait a minute, Jesus messed up. He's got it backwards. Because I think if most of us were writing that verse, we would say it the opposite. Where your heart is, your treasure will be also. But that's not what Jesus says. What he does say is where I'm putting my treasure, guess what? That's where my heart's going to be. And I think he's exactly right. It is a, a reference to the addictive, powerful quality of money. So if that's reality, then what do I do? I have to move where I'm putting my money. Think back to science class. Remember those grade school science classes? You had a piece of paper. You had a magnet underneath. And you had some dog or something, plastic dog usually with a magnet on the bottom. And you'd move that magnet around under the paper. And wherever that magnet went, guess what? The dog on top would hop along the paper. You all are looking at me like, you saw that, didn't you? You had that? Okay, okay, I thought I was crazy here. That, you know, and, and especially when you're young, it's like, wow, how'd that work? Well, we understand as we get older the power of magnetism. Well, you know, I, I brought an illustration. An offering plate? You want to move your heart? Move the offering. Where your treasure is, your heart will be. So one of the things that the offering does, tithing does, is I'm pulling my heart towards God. Because where I put my treasure is where my heart's going to follow. So I think we always say, I want God at the center of my life. I understand that there's an eternity. I can't control it. I need God. I don't have power to handle this crazy world and terrorists and economy and all this. I need God. 
Well, if we say yes to all of those things, then one of the ways to fill our lives with God is move our treasure. God says you put 10% here and you're going to pull your heart towards me. You want more of God? Give to him. And that's one of the things that tithing does for us. The fourth thing that it does is that it builds up our faith muscle. Because you see, faith is a muscle. You don't just magically say, I want a strong faith. You can say that. It doesn't work that way. That's like I can say, oh, I want to run a marathon. Uh, Well, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's hilarious. I can say that all I want. But if I want to run the marathon, I have to exercise. I have to build up that stamina, those muscles. Well, that's how faith works. And the thing that tithing does for us, it is an act of faith. See, my finances look like your finances. I could use 100% of my money every week. I have things that we need to do, want to do, should do, all those things, and it always totals more than 100% of the income. And so then, so if I now take 10% of that 100%, which I really needed 120%, and now I'm at 90%, it's like, wait a minute, this doesn't add up. And in a math sense, it doesn't. So that means I'm having to step out on faith. I'm having to trust that God will do what he says. Because what he says is, I will be able to do more on 90% than I can on 100%. If I'm giving that 10% to him. So what this does is that it opens the door of faith for God to bless us. Turn over to Luke 6, verse 38. This is a promise of Jesus. Where he says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure... Pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured out into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's a pretty big promise from Jesus. As we give to God, God sees that act of faith. He knows we need more than the 100%. That 90% isn't enough, and he says, you've shown me your faith by trusting me for your future. And when you stretch that faith muscle, what I will do is take, and I always think of a bushel basket from my farming days. And he says, I will shake that bushel basket, I'll tamp it down a few times so I can get more in it. And then when I've packed everything I can in that bushel basket and heaped it up, I'm going to take that and I'm going to dump it in your lap. I'm going to give back to you because you opened that door of faith. You took a risk, and now I'll bless you back. That's what tithing does for us. And if we don't take that step of faith, then we've closed that door for God to bless. And that's why I say it's also a blessing for us. Now, there's one other thing I want to say about tithing, and it's really not one of the four, but I think it's a positive too. Tithing is really, I've called it a charity fundraiser. We've all experienced charity fundraisers. 
we've either paid a fortune for a round of golf and a meal, way beyond the normal cost of golf, or we've paid for pizza or cookies or wrapping paper or whatever that we could go get way cheaper anywhere else. But we do it because we know it's going to a good cause, whether it's the Girl Scouts or a cancer research fund or whatever it might be. Well, it struck me that, you know what? Tithing is really a charity fundraiser. And what I mean by that is it's not going to God. We saw that last week. He says very sarcastically in the Old Testament, uh, I own all the cattle, I own all the gold in every mine, I really don't need your money. And if you think about God, that's obviously true. But that's the way the offering is. It's really not going, you know, beamed up to heaven. The counters don't go back to the little room and count the offering and then this shimmering light happens and the money's poof. And it goes up to God. Because he doesn't need it. What he does do is pass it on. It's a charity fundraiser. It's not why we give. We give because of that relationship in God that we talked about. But in addition, God turns around and uses all that income for really good things. It pays for our church buildings. It pays for our ministries. The programs that we enjoy and that help our children and help us. It pays for our ministers. But beyond that, it also pays for our missionaries. People who are going all around that world and taking the good news of Jesus, some of them to places I don't want to go. We've got missionaries crossing the border every week into Mexico right now, risking their lives literally from drug abductions, kidnapping, and murder. But they're doing it every week. And our tithing is helping that happen. We're educating ministers who are preaching at churches in Tehran, Iran. I'd rather not be called there. But they're there every week working. Our mission, our, our giving is, is funding that. It's spreading the good news by training the future preachers and youth ministers and missionaries at Bible colleges and seminaries. It's planting new churches. It's running a church camp that we all benefit from every summer It's ministries in hospitals and orphanages. All of that charity fundraising happens when we give to the local church. That's how God uses that tithe that we think, well, he just wants my money. No, he doesn't. He's going to get rid of it as soon as he gets it. And he's going to give it and use it to help all these things. Following God's plan for our finances begins with us. Are we really, really willing to listen to God's financial plan and follow it? It comes down to that tithe, that 10%, that risky behavior. We want to issue as a challenge as a church because we believe this works. We believe Scripture. And a number of us have experienced that it works. So the servers have another card there won't be one of these next week. We had one last week. And if they would get up now and uh, you want to start handing these out, please. This is a tithing challenge. To consider following God's plan 
And for some of you, you may say, that is crazy. I can't do that. I honestly have heard of other churches doing this. I'm excited to be at a church that's doing it. We want to issue you a challenge. We want to put Malachi into practice, where God says, I dare you. And so Andover Christian Church wants to put that in a practical way. We want to challenge you to consider following God's plan for 90 days. He says, I dare you, take the dare. See if following God's plan in that way doesn't really work. Where God will bless you and you're going to say, I am better off on the 90% than I was on the 100%. And what we've done to make it real is we've said, do that for 90 days. And if you don't think God blessed you, we'll give you your money back. And this isn't just a gimmick. It's to say, really? We just want you to try it. So in one sense, you can't lose. Would you try it? All the details are on here. Uh, If you have questions, you can talk to me or any of the elders. Um, We really believe what God promises. And we thought this might be a practical way to get some folks, maybe for the first time, to say, well, I guess I've wanted to try it. I didn't see how I could, but... Now I can. I'll give it a shot. You see, it's not because we need more of your money. We know what God can do in your life if you'll let him. And we just want you to open that door. Open that door to the blessings he wants to give you when you'll open your finances to his plan. How to run your finances his way. We know he'll bless you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that folks here in my hearing, uh, or hearing of me, have heard you speak through this, and that they don't see this as a gimmick, but a sincere attempt to get people to run their finances your way. Because it's crazy, it's totally different than what the world teaches us. How can we do more on 90% than we can on 100%? But it's because you're in it. And you're the one who said, I dare you. Trust me in this. Father, may we do that. May we do that. In your son's name, amen. In this process, um, we're not doing anything with that today, okay? Because this isn't a manipulative kind of moment. Uh, We want you to take that home and think about it. Uh, This sermon will be online by tomorrow. If you want to review it, take the notes home. Consider this concept. And if it's something you would be willing to try for God. If you're you're, uh, in in a family, talk about it. Pray about it. And next week in the service, there'll be a time when to collect these if people say, I want to take that challenge. So bring this back. We'll have more next week. But we want this to be something you think through and pray about. Um, And then next week, we'll have an opportunity to say, God, I want to take this challenge. I want to follow your plan for my life.